So we're reading from Mark, and it's on page 956 of the Church Bibles. Mark chapter 9, beginning to read at verse 2. So hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. So chapter 9, verse 2. The Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And they were coming down from the mountain. Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Before we sit, let's pray. Uh, this was a prayer yesterday in Selwyn Hughes's devotional readings. Lord God, human words can inspire, but only your word can feed us. So, Father, I ask that you will feed us now this morning from your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to read that reading again <clears throat> in the message. And I'm going to start uh, partway through verse 1. Some of us who are, some of you who are standing here are going to see it happen, see the kingdom of God arrive in full force. Six days later, three of them did see it. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain. His appearance changed from the inside out, right before their eyes. His clothes shimmered, glistening white, whiter than any bleach could make them. Elijah, along with Moses, came into view in deep conversation with Jesus. Peter interrupted. Rabbi, this is a great moment. Let's build three memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He blurted this out without thinking, stunned as they all were by what they were seeing. Just then, a light radiant cloud enveloped them, and from deep in the cloud, a voice. This is my son, marked by my love. Listen to him. The next minute, the disciples were looking around, rubbing their eyes, seeing nothing but Jesus, only Jesus. Coming down the mountain, Jesus swore them to secrecy. 
don't tell a soul what you saw. After the Son of Man rises from the dead, you'll be free to talk. I think that in order for us to begin to understand this very important incident in the life of Jesus, we need to look at chapter 8, verses 27 to 33. So if you've got your Bibles open, just glance down at it as I'm speaking. Here we see Jesus asking his disciples two very important questions. Who do men say that I am? And the answer was Elijah, John the Baptist, or another of the prophets. But then came the burning question, which is the same question we all have to answer. But who do you say that I am? Peter's immediate reply, without any hesitation, was, You are the Christ. Then Jesus began to tell them of the road of suffering, humiliation, and rejection that lay ahead of him. And this is followed by dear Peter's inappropriate, however loving, completely wrong response. He had just said that Jesus was the Messiah, but obviously didn't understand fully what that meant. Jesus' reply, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns, shows us that Peter and the other disciples' minds needed to be transformed and not conformed to a worldly way of thinking. And this is something we thought about a fortnight ago from Romans chapter 12. Jesus called the world that they lived in an adulterous, that was because they had been unfaithful to God, and sinful generation. Has anything changed today? Six days later, other Gospels tell us that it was eight days, but I believe this was the Jewish equivalent of saying about a week ago. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a mountain. He took them away from the crowds and adulterous world in which they lived to give them a glimpse of the heavenly realm. Some commentators believe that this is what Jesus meant in verse 1, chapter 9. Here, the three disciples see Jesus in a new way. They see the heavenly Jesus, the Jesus who is the Son of God. Many of us know Jesus as our friend and saviour, but do we know him in his heavenly, godly glory? because that's what God wants for us. Here they see also two of the Old Testament heroes of the Jewish faith, Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the prophet. These were two of the people that the crowds thought Jesus was. Here was the old covenant made by God with the Jews, meeting the new covenant made through Jesus' forthcoming death on the cross. Romans 3, verses 21 and 22 in the Good News Bible explains it this way. But now God's way of putting people right with himself has been revealed. It has nothing to do with the law, 
even though the law of Moses and the prophets gave their witness to it. God puts people right through their faith in Jesus Christ. And according to Luke's account of the transfiguration, Jesus' death on the cross is what was being discussed with Moses and Elijah and himself. Peter, as usual, is their spokesman, and even though they were terrified, realized that they were in a good and privileged place. Peter is such an encouragement to me because he gets it wrong so many times, and yet God still uses him. According to some translations, he wanted to build three shelters as memorials. He felt he needed to respond in some way to this wonderful vision. However, in all honesty, he didn't know how to respond in an appropriate way. He was, in fact, speechless, but unfortunately, he didn't keep his mouth shut. I think that, like Peter, when we see and experience of God's and experience God's glory, we too will be speechless and want to stay in that wonderful moment. But they had to come down from the mountain top, and we live in the world. And as if that wasn't enough, they were enveloped in a cloud which in the Old Testament was a sign of God's presence. And they heard a voice of authority speaking to them. In the words of the Message Bible, this is my son, marked by my love. Listen to him. And then it was just them and Jesus. So far, we have looked at how this experience affected the disciples. But what we haven't considered what the transfiguration meant for Jesus. The Good News Bible states that a change came over Jesus. The Amplified Bible describes it as Jesus becoming resplendent with divine brightness. Jesus was changed from the inside out, dazzling and completely pure, so it wasn't superficial. The change radiated to the outside, touching his appearance and clothes. The Greek word Mark uses to describe the radiance of Jesus' garments is the same word used to describe the golden glare of the sunlight. And on Monday evening, when I was thinking about this talk, I saw on my wall a reflection of the setting sun. So I went to look out of the window and the sun was a golden ball. I tried to look at it, but it was so bright, I had to turn away because it was hurting my eyes. And it struck me that the brightness and beauty of that sunset was nothing compared to the glory and beauty of God displayed in Jesus at his transfiguration. When Moses met with God, his face reflected the glory of God. But Jesus' face and his whole body radiated that glory. So the transfiguration has a double significance. The first one for Jesus 
and the other for the disciples. We've seen how the transfiguration affected Jesus' appearance. Now let's consider what it meant for him. Jesus had decided to go to Jerusalem to face death on the cross. And this is what he was explaining to the disciples in chapter 8. We know from what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane how he struggled with his prospect. So he had to be sure that this was God's will and the right course of action. The appearance of Moses and Elijah, where according to Luke's account, they were talking to him about his death, was a double approval and confirmation for Jesus that this was the right road ahead. To quote from William Barclay's commentary, the transfiguration did something very precious for the disciples also. They had been shattered by Jesus' statement that he was going to Jerusalem to die, and this undermined all their beliefs and concepts about the Messiah. Their minds were baffled and their hearts were breaking. So what happened on the mountain gave them a hope to hold on to. They might not understand it all, but they had heard God's voice acknowledging Jesus as his son and telling them to listen to him. They had seen Christ's glory. According to some studies, it was the Jewish dream that when the Messiah came, the cloud of God's presence would return to the temple. This cloud had appeared in the desert when Moses met with God in the tent of meeting, and it had also appeared when the Ark of the Lord was brought for the first time into Solomon's temple and put in the holy place. So when that cloud descended on them on the mountaintop, it signified to the three disciples that the Messiah had come and that truly Jesus was that Messiah. This revelation lifted the three disciples' understanding to a new and amazing height. It was as if the veil of heaven had been drawn aside and the glory of heaven was allowed to shine through. And they had a preview of this and of the risen, glorious Jesus. But not only had God allowed them a glimpse of his glory, but he also spoke to them in a voice they all heard, telling them to accept Jesus' authority and to listen to him, not just hear him, but listen to him. In other words, be obedient. No wonder they were all struck. They were all struck and speechless. But does the transfiguration have something to say to 21st century disciples? In other words, to us here at Sea Salter today. I believe it does. Because 2 Timothy tells us that all scripture is breathed and is useful for teaching and training in righteousness. Matthew's account of the transfiguration states that Jesus took the three disciples up a mountain with him to pray. He took them away from the busyness and distractions of everyday life to a quiet place. 
I wonder where your place of prayer is. Walking along the beach, or a woodland walk, or indoors, sitting in a certain chair, or a favourite spot in the house. As my circumstances have changed over the years, so have my places of prayer. But the place doesn't matter, as long as we've made a conscious effort to find one, and to be there alone with Jesus. I know this is not easy for some people, but if we really want to do so, God will show us a way. For me, the main message of the Transfiguration is that God longs to meet with us and show us his glory. Just as Jesus radiated that glory on the mountaintop, so God wants us to radiate his glory in this adulterous and sinful nation, generation, in which we live. However, before this can happen, we need to have our minds transformed so that we do not conform to the world's way of thinking. And this is something that happens from the inside, not from the outside. And when it does happen, we shall be able, we shall be able to hear what God is saying to us and be able to pray effective prayers. According to the Amplified Bible, God told the disciples in verse 7, This is my son, the most dear, worthy, beloved one. Be constantly listening to and obeying him. If we obey this command, then we shall be able to live the lives we should be living and worship God as he deserves to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. However, these things can only take place when we meet regularly with God in our special prayerful place and where the Holy Spirit enables us to see more of Jesus and to radiate that through us. Amen.